1: Relaxed, this is Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and I am relaxed, Charlie. Oh, that's good. You're back in Sydney. I was not relaxed when I first got back into Sydney. Being living in the country, I have gone so country so quickly. Um, when I was younger, my dad, who you know, who grew up on the road that he was born on and you know, has lived in a community of 250 people for his entire life, whenever we would go to the city to do something, we'd have this what I now probably look back on, and he would never describe it as this, but almost like a panic attack. He would Mm. get into the city and just the noises and the traffic and the people and the air conditioning and the music and all those sounds of the city would just be so overwhelming to him that he would just want to go somewhere peaceful, have a cup of tea. He wouldn't want to go out to the shops. And I always thought, oh, he's just like a country person. But now I look back on it and I think it's incredibly traumatic, the city, particularly in the middle of the, you know, we've been living in the country pretty much in lockdown, even though it hasn't been a formal lockdown. We've been pretty much living in isolation. And then to come back into the big city, I had to go across town for a meeting and it was, I felt like my dad. I wanted to ring my dad and go, I get it, Graham. I actually get it. The city is
0: really, really scary. I would love it to see you arriving back in Sydney, having spent a bit of time away. And suddenly it's like that classic fish out of water comedy. You're like Crocodile Dundee. You get to like a revolving door and you get scared. You don't know how to use it. Amy takes you to the shopping mall and you get on the escalator and then you start panicking, not sure how to get off. (laughs) You're washing your ass in the sink.
1: What are these moving stairs? You're like, Will, you've been living in the country for four months. I don't want to go in the magic glass box that takes us to the next
0: level. You're that person who spent four months in London and you've come back with an accent.
1: I've come back with a country accent. I'll be I'll be doing the entire podcast without moving my lips once. You fucking have been coming back with a country accent, because I listened to Faux, Faux 300 today, and
0: I heard Dave Anthony, very distinct American accent, I knew that, but it sounded like he was talking to Farmer Joe, <laughs> this dude, I never, <laughs> heard, do you use mate that often? I mean, I know you use mate, and we call each other mates, and we're mates, you know, this is a, a comedy conversation between two old mates, but... You were ozzing it up. Was it because Dave was American that you, had, you felt like you had
1: to give him a slice, slice of Australiana? I don't think so. I think that you are absolutely right. I've moved to London and I've come back going, <laughs> need a couple of pills, geezer. I'll cut you up, you toilet. Like, <laughs> well, you spent 48 like is, hours in yeah, this is more of the country. It's layover. <laughs> You've come back with an accent. I, I've gone back into
0: my original accent. I was going to say that's what it is. You're the guy who grew up in the deep South, but moved to Hollywood and, you know, just just smoothed out your accent so you could get
1: work. But at your heart, you're a redneck. I'm a bloody country boy. I I am overwhelmed by realising it because, like, uh, even today, so the reason we came back to Sydney was partly because I had to have some meetings about some work that had to happen face-to-face. What a weird... Um, situation that is I haven't really done like a face-to-face meeting with anybody since you know we've been in this you know brand new world and so we had to have like a meeting where you go into a meeting room but there can only be so many people in the meeting room and you'll have to be a certain amount away from each other and we were like talking about something that like you know had a kind of diggle like conclusion to it so a digger normally in that situation no, like a deal. So oh, like right. we were having a work meeting right. where at the end of it, we agreed to Sorry, do something together. That's
0: how Australian you're sounding to me. I thought you said digger. <laughs> I thought you just dropped a digger in there and I wasn't surprised.
1: The, the D word. That's what I'll be starting using. Now when I'm listening to my NWA, I'll just be substituting digger for the N word. <laughs> that's how country I am. So no, it, it was one of those meetings where at the end of it, we'd agreed to do something together. Right. So normally in that situation, the thing you do is you seal that with a handshake, you know, yep. and it was so weird to agree to like do something with someone, and at the end, all just kind of go, and I guess we're agreed on that, <laughs> <laughs> just like finger guns at each other. I guess that's uh, this is Not like bowing or something. I was like, is it culturally inappropriate if I bow? I feel like yes. we need to do something ceremonial. Not only is it culturally
0: inappropriate, it is also physically impossible for you with your hips to bow to anyone. Like you'd take your first
1: bow and get stuck in that position and have to walk out at a 45 degree angle. I mean, that's a good point. Somebody would actually have to go inside the 1.5 meter zone to (laughs) wrench me back up to upright so that I could go home. Uh, Can I make a small request? Can you just tilt your
0: camera up just slightly so I can see your face a bit better?
1: Uh, Hang on. Sorry. That's better. So, yes, I'm in... um, the reason we came back, so I'm in the house in Sydney, and the reason we came back was that um, uh, it's hard rubbish. So oh. that's not the only reason. we have Bargains are plenty.
0: <laughs> you came back to get some hard rubbish, did you? You're going to drive my past my place with all those
1: teenagers and get some hard rubbish? No, opposite. Because mm. like we've moved into a new house and you know with the current financial situation in the world we don't know if we're gonna to have to sell this house or at the very least like rent it out or fix it up or or do something with it like we've had a friend um you yeah, know, staying here during her pregnancy for free and that you know that's all, all good but it's like nobody's really been in the house for months and so I knew there was so much shit here that just like I would end up having to carry around for years if I did not take this opportunity. And because we've set up our new life and you know, what's, you know, in your place set up, because I've been living out of a suitcase for like 10 years, you know, I was overseas for half of the year and you just have so much shit built up. And then suddenly I am Mari condoing the fuck out of everything. I am just like, it was so freeing and so much fun as I just like, like I've I've essentially spent two days like cleaning out the back shed in my office and sorting shit out, and it's been I've loved it so much. Is this a
0: organized hard rubbish like a, a scheduled one, or have you organized it yourself? Because you get like two two, no. two freebies, don't you?
1: No, 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 no. So this is this is the local neighbourhood hard rubbish, which is the right, hard okay. rubbish that I love because it, I listen yeah, especially to that in our- your area. I mean, you're, oh. in your area, you can leave hard rubbish
0: basically with like... A, you could furnish your entire apartment with very expensive, beautiful furniture in your neighbourhood. People throw out well, like Chesterfields and
1: fucking amazing like Danish furniture. People who've been listening to this podcast will know that we used to record while sitting on two leather armchairs that I found during a hard rubbish in my local neighbourhood. Leather like, armchairs I have- and hard rubbish. <laughs> That's so <laughs> that would be beautiful. Like you new can understand the ninety-five
0: percent of the population. That is insane. Most people, it's a broken lawn chair or a badminton racket or something like that. Some horrible kids' toys, like a box full of moulding kids' toys. You had two leather armchairs. It's
1: so insane. Hard rubbish in our neighbourhood is as close as I'll get to going to a music festival these days. So there's this one particular corner. And most of the action happens around this corner because it's like a big corner with a big, like, you know, piece of... So, like, for the week before, it starts to pile up. And there's, like, one side of the tree, but you know as it gets closer to hard rubbish nights, stuff will suddenly appear on the other side of the tree as well. And on the weekend, (laughs) all the neighbours get out in their front lawns and they put out their armchairs and they have a drink and people sort of make this little procession from their houses over the hard rubbish pile. But not just that, Charlie, because that is just the... Entree, the amuse-bouche, the hors d'oeuvre to the delicious meal is the traffic that comes in and out of like oh yeah Pick up scavengers and, stuff, and right? bargain hunters and like yeah. people who are taking things and like depositing things. It's so much fun. Like when you're putting stuff out, because this is never, this is not, it, I've never really had a massive clean out, but mm. I've been doing a social experiment where I've been tracking, like for example, I had like about, I would say about 50, maybe even 100 books that I put out there. Now, normally I wouldn't put books on hard rubbish. I'd like donate the books, but in our neighborhood, normally all the books go previous to the hard rubbish being collected. So I've been able to see which are the best sellers in my hard rubbish file and which ones people don't want. There are some books that, like, there was one the other day that had just been discarded from where the other books were. Like, somebody had picked it up, looked at what (laughs) it was and tossed
0: it aside in disgust. I love the idea of, like, a hard rubbish festival. It is exciting. It's kind of like reverse Christmas. You know, like, you see Christmas trees up in everyone's window, but you see hard rubbish. It's, 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 It's not people getting ready to receive. It's people expelling. There's something kind of cleansing about it. And I, too because of uh, where my apartment is. I ha- I'm on top of a hill, so I get a good view of those scavengers and stuff. And it's like something from Fury Road. Like, you'll see them coming, like, in these... like Because they're, they're always jalopies, too. It's not like... Anyone's rocking up in a really nice, like, you know, uh, Volkswagen moving van or whatever. They always look like they've been driven across the wasteland to get there.
1: Uh, Not true 100% in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, there's some A-Team style vans that roll up. (laughs) (laughs) Where, like, literally somebody's put a crew together of, like, guys who are off the grid. And they open up the back and the side door of these vans. And it's just been emptied out inside like anything that could possibly take up room that they could feel and some of them have framework and stuff in there so they've like built the entire van so that they can load things in in the most economical way and they don't take whole things anymore like so for example i had an old heater that i put out that didn't really work for a couple of reasons anymore but they just come down and strip them down for parts and just leave the shit they don't want it's amazing i've got
0: an adam sandler movie for you it's called Garbage Pickers and it's about two rival teams of hard rubbish pickers and you've got your ragtag bunch of misfits led, led by Adam Sandler and David Spade and Rob Schneider and Chris Rock, basically the cast of grown-ups. And then you have the ultra-professional, state-of-the-art A-team van guys who always beat him to the punch and then we create some kind of conflict like their... Uh, who's pro- that? Is, who's, who, is, who are the... Like Car- Carrie Elwes or Rob Lowe. He's got to be good-looking and charming. You know, um, who's like a good-looking... Uh, Bradley Cooper would be perfect at it. I mean, yeah, okay. Bradley Cooper would probably do an Adam Sandler film, wouldn't he? He doesn't need to, but he'd get paid a fortune.
1: Is there a rivalry between the Vince Vaughn, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson mob and the Sandler mob? Because that well, seems like your ultimate team-up for me, is you get your so Sandler crew to be one side and then your, your other crew is your sort of Vince Vaughn crew. I would say the Vince Vaughn crew is... I would say there's. it's more of a Ben Stiller
0: crew. Remember, Ben Stiller right. kind of assembled those guys. And then there's a bit of a Judd Apatow crossover. It's like the Ben Stiller crew begot the Judd Apatow crew, which is Seth Rogen and all his mates. You know, this is the end mates. But yes, I think that Sandler's crew are all Saturday Night Live guys. And so... The Ben Stiller Show and Saturday Night Live were probably on around the same time in the mid 90s, and you had one which was your mainstream fair, and then you had the guy who was like probably more critically acclaimed
1: doing more highbrow type sketch comedy. Okay, I think we're thinking too small. I love the idea of the ultimate crossover. We're bringing a bit of like Marvel Avengers universe into the comedy troops world right mm-hmm. so who are your most identifiable movie comedy troops who like you know make movies together well monty python we've been talking
0: about them they could be they could have like an elder statesman role um yeah okay so you got the Sandler
1: crew who's like you know king of
0: queens and chris because
1: here's my idea it's garbage night that's all you need it's like hard rubbish yeah. night they, they call it something different in america like it's not called hard rubbish but when you put your like big items out on the well sidewalk, the footpath, the be I way. know
0: that uh, Kevin Smith tells a story about how his family would go out and pick hard rubbish and finish their home. And he used to be so embarrassed. And he remembers once some kid yelling at him, garbage picker. So we could call the film Garbage Pickers because we know that's in, at least in some version of American lexicon.
1: Oh, so this is how big I want this to be. Okay. So y- this movie is Garbage Pickers. And all the famous Hollywood crews are coming together to make this film. Okay. This is the movie that's going to reinvent comedy, and they're all various troops of garbage pickers. But they're all in there. Okay. So the Kevin Smith universe could provide like a small crew, for example. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I guess the Super Troopers crew would be another one. They have they're a, oh yeah good because they're, they're sort of done some stuff. And now would you go? Can you move into sort of like TV land? Would you get like the cast of The Office or something? Maybe having like. They're the bureaucrats who work at the, at the city council. You could get Steve Carell,
1: but I'm not no, sure. he belongs others. to the Will Ferrell crew. Yeah. So, well, then there's no point in getting the office crew. Then. <laughs> okay. If you can't get Carell, then no. No, it's got to be movie, crew. okay, so movie I think, crews. I movie like, crews. Like, I'd like to see Wes Anderson's crew
0: yeah. represented. Bill Murray. Uh, who else would be in that? Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, there's a bit of crossover because Owen Wilson and, and Ben Stiller both did *Royal Tenenbaums*. So, I don't know that Wes, I don't know if Wes Anderson counts because they're not really comedies.
1: Well, they are if, though. So, I want some. Well, who's the kind of hipster comedy crew then? Like, oh, you could have the Bridesmaids crew. Uh, *Lonely Island*. *Lonely Island* would be the hipster. Uh, yeah, okay. So you got your *Lonely Island* crew and you've got your Bridesmaids
0: crew. Yep, yep. Female representation. Then you probably have um, like, would, did Eddie Murphy have a crew? He had, like, uh, Arsenio Hall and Martin Lawrence and, I mean, Chris Rock's mates with Eddie, but they haven't really done anything together. Remember when he did, like, Boomerang and he cast all his friends in smaller roles? I think Eddie Murphy's got a crew. Yeah, probably Eddie Murphy. Dave Chappelle? Does Dave Chappelle have a crew? Well, there's a great photo of, like, Eddie Murphy, Dave Chappelle, Martin Lawrence and Kevin Hart all hanging out together, Chris Rock all hanging out together. So why don't we say the royalty of, like, African American (laughs) comedy. That's that's not
1: racist. They're a crew. (laughs) (laughs) The crew from that photo and no other reasons. <laughs> but I think I think Eddie Murphy
0: was a mentor to Martin Lawrence and Chris Rock. I think yeah. he did cast them in small roles in his film. So I think that does No, count. no, I like that. That's a good crew. I, I, that's a super crew. Yeah. Um, who else would there be? Now, do you start counting like smaller, more culty crews, like kids in the hall? Well, so what about Seth Rogen and his crew? Like, who's yeah. in Seth? Yeah. Like, you've... Got those guys James, who are in- James Franco, Danny McBride, yep. um, Jonah Hill, um, Michael Jay, Sarah, Jay Barry Robinson, yeah, Jay Baruchel. Yep. So they're the they they kind of online with Lonely Planet as the hipster yep. Lonely Planet. Um, Lonely, <laughs> <laughs> we get Lonely Planet, the Australian <laughs> uh, travel guide.
1: <laughs> Um, uh, that's pretty good. That's a pretty there?
0: good movie. What about the Edgar Wrightverse? verse Can we get like oh, Simon yeah, Pegg yes, and absolutely. Nick Frost? There's a British crew. Yeah, Russell Brand. I mean, I don't think he's ever done a movie with those guys, but we'll chuck him in. A bit like uh, the African-American com- comedians will be racist towards British people. If you're British, you're in that
1: crew. Peter, Sarah Fenowitz, Dylan yes. Moran. You find, you can, oh, yeah. you, they definitely could put together a crew. Yeah. What about Australia? Who's our crew? <laughs> Paul Hogan. And, Paul Hogan. You know, Hogan. serious? <laughs> Paul Hogan and Kenny. We we don't have one. I mean, Paul going, Hogan, Paul Hogan, Kenny, um, Eric Banner, and the Wogboy, Nick Jonas. Well, I, I guess the most
0: we, the most recognizable Australian comic at the moment would be someone like Jim Jeffries, right? He's on. Mm. He's got his own TV show. He's done a lot of stand up. TV though, it's not really like
1: movie. Like, and he doesn't really Rebel, have an Aussie. Rebel crew Wilson him. has more of a movie career than Jim Jeffries does. Like, if you're going to have to do Australian comedians
0: um, so if we're going to lump Australians together, would, okay, Rebel Wilson, Rose Byrne, she's part of the Bridesmaid?
1: She's, yeah. She, uh, yeah. Well, if we could get Rose Byrne, we'd be happy. So well, Rose could, Byrne, Rebel right. Wilson, um, Australian Paul female, Hogan. just uh, Australians in no, general. No, we'll have an Australian comedy crew. We'll just okay. put right. them all together. So they're going to be Shane Australians Jacobson. who do movies. Yeah, but these are all Australian movie comedians. Right. Paul Hogan, Shane Jacobson... Um, Roseburn, Rebel Wilson, Isla Fisher, uh, Isla Fisher. Yeah, I mean, look,
0: it's a bit like Australia competing at the Olympics. It feels a bit like we may win <laughs> one event, maybe in a very specialised field. That crew will get the job done. But I feel like every other crew were taken on the dream team. It's like Chris Hemsworth, you know, America, Russia, Lithuania in the basketball. Chris
1: Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth. Does He's company. not a comedian. That does not count. But. How can you field an Australian Hollywood team without Chris Hemsworth? And he fancies himself as being funny. So I think with Chris Hemsworth... And therein lies the problem with the Australian crew. (laughs) Um, New Zealand, you could have the Taika Waititi, Jermaine Clement, you know. Yeah. Like, that's a good crew. Yeah. Um,
0: Who else would there be? What about Ali Wong? Ali Wong, does she round up like an Asian crew? Oh, well,
1: I mean, again, we're we're veering into racism a little. To well, no, I'm just, just thinking but,
0: of like crazy rich, crazy rich Asians. That was like a true. huge, huge cinematic hit. But Australia's
1: Ronnie Chang. We probably yes, should have grabbed Ronnie for Australia, but he's he's now he's now on Ali Wong's crew because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't mention him. It's like <laughs> fuck you guys, fuck <laughs> you. Yeah, you put Chris fucking
0: Hemsworth in. I'm a genuine comedian who's done feature films and on The Daily Show. Yeah,
1: Chris Hemsworth. You you fucking racist. Classic whitewashing. (laughs) He totally had Ronnie Chang right in front of us and we cast Chris fucking Hemsworth. Australia.
0: (laughs) Yeah, We get Chris Hemsworth to play an Asian person just to add insult to injury. (laughs) Chris Hemsworth plays Arndo. All right. What other crews are there? That's a Well, that's a pistol of crew. I don't know
1: any yeah, like good. Eastern European or, or Scandinavian comics. I don't know it yet. No, what? What? Well, I mean, Canadian. Canada's always had a very well. We said kids, kids in the hall, didn't they do? Yeah, movies? that's true. No, they. No, we, no, we'll have kids in the hall from Canada. That's fine. I'm happy with that. Um, um, that's and pretty quite good. quite a few. Like, yeah,
0: I mean, there's that whole. What's that? Isn't it Second City? Or, no, that's Chicago. What's the? um Canadian improv group that produced a bunch of people like Kids in the Hall and Catherine O'Hara and,
1: Loose you know, Eugene Luce Levy. Loose Moose or Moose something. What? No,
0: they're, they're, it's more famous than that, aren't they?
1: Are you talking about SCTV? No, that was. Yeah, but is No, there, that's that was, Second City. That's Second that's City. Chicago, what, there right? was another one. There was a. Podcast, Mike,
0: can you look up, there's a very famous Canadian improv group or troop, I believe, or, or something that um, Catherine O'Hara came from and Eugene Levy and. Bunch of people,
1: uh, oh, uh, Rick Moranis. That crew. Candy. You could do sort of a, um, uh, you know, a best in show style crew, like a yeah. Oh yeah, Christopher Guest. A Christopher Guest. He could be. Oh, it sec- is Second City. Oh no, Second I City is Chicago.
0: Chicago. Or maybe they went from Canada to Second City, and I'm just assuming.
1: Okay, all right. I'm sure somebody will let us know. Well,
0: I'm just I'm just you send us a link. So the Second City is an improvisational, yeah, based in Chicago. They produced Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, John Candy, all right, Canadian, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Canadian, Eugene Levy, Canadian, Catherine O'Hara, Canadian. That's what I got it wrong. Okay. So a bunch of Canadians went to Second City. So that's like Chicago is claiming those guys in the way that Australians claim New Zealanders.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. So that's your movie. We just go, we get all the world's yeah. greatest comedy teams together and it's they're all playing crews that on Garbage Night they want to go and collect the the best garbage. So what you're suggesting
0: is that scene in the first Anchorman yeah. where the, all the Anchorman get together that to have a brawl, but that as a feature film.
1: Personally, I love the way that you pronounce Anchorman then. Anchorman. I know. <laughs> I tried to brush Joseph, You know, Joseph Anchorman of the Anchormans. <laughs> you know that movie, that Will Ferrell movie, Anchorman. Yeah, I loved Anchorman. <laughs> Everyone used to quote Anchorman all the time. Very funny when somebody quotes Anchorman around the office. Uh, did you see the trailer for the new Batman? <laughs> oh no, I was too busy watching Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I love that TV show where they push the bachelors in the pool. Mina min. <laughs> <laughs> was that show a,
0: an Australian uh, invention, or was that um, uh, licensed in the world? Mike, can you look up Man o' oh Man? So my memory of that show. Yeah, what's is, your memory? So it's a dating, it's a dating show yeah. where like eight guys all compete to a live audience of women who are all, at a t- are all at tables drinking and cheering. It's a bit like a strip club. And so they're put through a different series of challenges. One, they have to like hit on a girl. Another one, they have to do a talent. Um, another one, they have to... There's like a physical... Oh, it's a, there's a dance. There's a dance number, right? Or a strip, strip scene or there's a strip number, like a full Monty thing. I can't remember. And then... As the gang guys get eliminated, the man-o-man girls who are like, you know, the uh, game show girls, they will come out and they'll do a little dance and their audience cheer for who they want pushed in because they all get to vote and then the, uh, the, the game show hostess will push one of the guys in the pool. That is my memory of man-o-man. Does that, does that
1: check out with you? All I remember is that it was a dating show where men got like pushed in a pool. And I know that that I think that pool still exists because it's under like the TV studio or whatever at Channel yeah. Nine. So, yeah. So where I, where I shot Blue Heelers was right next to where the pool was. Yeah. Right. So apparently it was an Australian concept. Oh uh, no! Originally a German concept. Um, uh, yeah, it seems very European. It was odd. It was an odd show. You know, in German, in Germany, Charlie, it was actually called "Man with Two Ends." Oh, man <laughs> with Two Ends.
0: True story. (laughs) I remember um, one contestant. um, It was this really kind of like nerdy guy. And he did his special talent uh, performance right before he did his dance performance because it would happen in sections. And so his special talent was he came out with nunchucks and started like, you know, doing all like nunchuck tricks. And you're like, oh, that's, you know, actually pretty impressive. And he got to go through the next round. But then the next round is the dance round where I assume the guys haven't rehearse to dance they're just going to play music and they just have to dance and so the girls get the the ladies in the audience get to vote on how good a dancer he was and this guy hears the beat of the music and starts moving but clearly can't dance so just goes back into his nunchucks routine but without any nunchucks
1: like just starts waving his arms around like he's swinging the nunchucks I mean that's what I would go with as well if I was not a dancer (laughs) but I was good at nunchucks I'd be like I reckon nunchucking without nunchucks looks like dancing it looked like he was crazy because it looked like there should have been something in his hand. <laughs> do you think did you think, about do you think it? because you've seen it in that order, you know that, but if it had been in the other order, so if he'd had to start with the dance and he came out and he just did his dance nunchucks without nunchucks, and then in the second round where they were like, what's your special skill? He came out and he did that same dance but added nunchucks. I reckon you would have been more impressed than the other way around. I think you're right. Because my memory of it, like, you know, when people do nunchuck tricks and they do that thing
0: where they'll swing it like over their shoulders, like around their elbow, over the shoulders, and they'll move their head and stuff. If he'd come out and had just had his hands straight, like Michael Jackson style kind of dancing, it would have looked like he was like popping and locking. So you're probably right. It was the fact that I saw,
1: I saw the wax on wax off too early. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. You Like, this is terrible storytelling. You know, like, you've got a Westworld, this shit. You've got to come out in the dancing section and plant some clues. So when you come back with your nunchucks in the second section, everyone's like, oh my God, that was him with his dance. But now he's doing it with deadly nunchucks.
0: I don't ever recall seeing you dance ever in like 20 years of friendship. I've seen you bob your head, but I don't think, like, even before the hips, were you a
1: dancer? I mean, no, is the short answer. Um, it's slightly more complicated than that because there was a period of time where I took a lot of ecstasy, so I can't <laughs> I, I can't uh, say that there wasn't some nights that I decided that despite my inability to dance that I should dance anyway. But ever since I've had like bad hips. Like, you know, that was if I were ever going to dance, I once got asked to do Dancing with the Stars, you know, the TV show Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. And every time I tell Amy about that, she finds that hilarious because like (laughs) the the funny thing is I have absolutely no rhythm when it comes to dancing, but also my body now is completely unco, so it's just a complete nutter hot mess. Like I have none of the required ingredients to be a dancer other than I love hip-hop dancing in particular and i often ask people on philosophy if you could just have like one skill that you can immediately just be like so fucking good at like one of the things that i would love to just be amazingly good at is hip-hop dancing i would look ridiculous so, can you imagine like who if like well just in G- any of those shows like, give me is like a bruno a bruno mars <laughs> yeah thing, absolutely or, you, or, or more so like if Channing i could tatum now if i could dance like bruno mars But imagine how ridiculous that would look. Like, if me, like, if I just one day was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I can dance like Bruno Mars. I don't think people would enjoy it. I think people would be off-put by it. Like, it would look... Yeah. It would look like the Fat Boy Slim, like, film clip or something where you didn't realise that Christopher Walken was, like, a really good dancer. Like, it just would make no sense. You very rarely see
0: tall guys who are good dancers. It's kind of like athletes as well, because the bigger you are, the more you're going to lumber. Hugh Jackman can dance, obviously. He's about the same height as you. But, I mean, he is in incredible shape. Like, he is like a an athlete before he even became, talk about being an entertainer. But, yeah, it's weird. You don't see... I think I was talking about this when we were talking about... Um, monty python the other the other day watching john cleese like that ministry of silly walk sketch not funny if it's anyone other than john cleese because there's something about seeing a guy who's like well how tall is he almost six six like he's enormous right yeah yeah he's super tall i don't i don't know exactly but he's much taller than i am yeah it's just seeing the way he swings his legs about in the silly walk like that's what makes it so brilliant and you're right like it's only this far removed from a dance. If He could have easily moved into a dance from that and it would still
1: look bizarre because big people aren't meant to move like that. So imagine how confronting it would be for people if I suddenly could dance like Bruno Mars, a tiny little pocket rocket. Because even all his dances are kind of designed be, like in the way that he's a pocket rocket. Okay,
0: so you know your doctor comes to you and says, uh, look, we know you've got trouble with your hips and uh, at some point you're probably going to have to get them replaced. Um but I've been working with the laboratory, and we're working on some pretty exciting innovations in terms of um, prosthetics and, and replacement parts uh, in the human body. And uh, we'd like you to uh, be a trial for these Bruno Mars hips. We call them we call them Shakira because they don't lie. <laughs> and when you put them on, your dance like Shakira or Bruno Mars. There's settings actually. There's a little dial on the side. You can- <laughs> Start at Channing Tatum and twist it all the way around to Bruno Mars.
1: It's got a Beyonce and a Jay-Z. You can dance like either of them.
0: Here's the thing. We've done animal trials and he shows you like on his phone videos of like rats and stuff just
1: moonwalking and shit he's like and that's I mean that's already amazing <laughs> like I'm, I'm already glad I came to this meeting regardless of what we do with our hips the fact that you just showed me do a rat doing Bruno Mars's opening dance from the Super Bowl is the best thing that I have ever seen in my life so uh, he says you'll
0: be the first you know this, you'll yeah. be the first human um, you could be this rat free of
1: charge I've always loved toefop. Yeah. I'm a doctor after all <laughs> Would you be tempted? Well, firstly, what you've described is a version of a dream I have regularly. So <laughs> it's not even surprising to me. I, I have ho- so many hip-related dreams and so many of them focus around the idea that I get my hips fixed and then I have, like, hip superpowers. superpowers. Right. And, like, there are various different versions. I've definitely had dancing ones previously. Um, I've had so many football ones right like that i get my hips fixed and then i'm down at training and like they go hey why don't you have a kick and i haven't had a kick in years because my back and hamstrings and all that stuff is fucked so they say just have a kick and i'm like i've got my new hips i can have a kick and i kick it but it goes like 70 meters direct straight (laughs) and then we have to work out where if if i at 46 years old can be like snuck into the bulldog's team like and that that is like a like a dream i have quite regularly How committed would you be to that if it
0: was a reality? Like if that if the if you've got this hip replacement and you can kick a ball sixty meters and you can run without pain, but you still don't have any of the cardio or, you know,
1: muscle or anything like that. But the bulldogs By the way, what you're describing is always exactly how the dream pans out. Like so it's it's never even though this is a completely fictional dream that I'm making up in my subconscious, my subconscious won't let me have it that easy. Yeah. So after the initial joy of me discovering I have this superpower, there is the immediate realisation that I'm still in all other ways the person that I am at the moment and that having bionic hips would not be enough to ever really dominate in these scenarios. And so that would be your thought process. That's your logical
0: brain coming out because that would be your thought process. If they, Okay, let's say this you have to do it like it the, the fate of the world depends on you uh, with these super hips playing a game of football for the bulldogs the world's fate depends on it but they're going how long do you think you'd need to get fit enough to play one game well
1: you're balancing two things the idea that it would take a long time versus the idea that I'm not getting any younger or any healthier so you've got to put a window on it You've got to say, and if the fate of the world is happening, so this is purely for the fate of the world, which means if it's for the fate of the world, I would have access to whatever training and diet and doctors and whatever I
0: needed. It'll be like that training montage from Rocky IV, like Dolph Lundgren. You'll be in the best laboratory getting jabbed up with every steroid. Six months. Six months? Yeah. I wonder if it would be possible. I mean, I guess the thing is you don't have to play well, do you? you just got to get through the game. I mean, you could get gassed out in the first quarter and just sit on the bench.
1: I mean, this is a bizarre scenario for the fate of the entire world to rest on. (laughs) The idea. I know. (laughs) Look, this is what the aliens wanted. Apparently, you have to have this radical hip surgery so if you can get ready for one game, you don't have to play well. If I don't have to play well, I can play tomorrow. That takes any of... it. It doesn't matter if I have good hips or bad hips. If the fate of the world's on my shoulders and they needed me to play one game of AFL tomorrow... And mm-hmm. I don't have to play well. I could play tomorrow easily. I think I'd probably get a kick, maybe one or two a- kicks. Like I- right. what in a the, game, you have to play tomorrow. You have to play, but you have to kick a goal. Yeah, I think if the fate of the world's on my shoulders, it's got to be like I've got to get like fifteen possessions, and I've got to kick a goal or something. Not fifteen, mate. Come on, like some of the best players out there will
0: only get nine possessions in a game, shortened quarters and all that. I reckon a goal and five touches. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're, you're negotiating it for me. The aliens are like... Yeah. It's already a very specific scenario. I don't know why you think there's wiggle room in this. We were so high when we came up with this. We love tofu. We're that... all doctors on our planet. <laughs> planet of doctors. I'm from a planet of doctors. And the only signal we've got through the universe is your podcast. And now you must do this to save humanity. Charlie can also so... be involved...
0: well what would they do what they have to i mean maybe my challenge would be different i mean i I don't really know what that would be though i i don't think if it was up to
1: me even here's what i would say about 15 possessions the rest the rest of the team can also know that the fate of the world's on the shoulders so that it's their incentive they're looking for you to get the ball to me as often as possible i reckon i can get 15
0: But you watch those Legends matches where like Strawny or someone will be playing and that's what the players do try and do. And those guys like fuck it up all the time. I mean, I'm I'm thinking even if I was in the same circumstances, so you get your body with these new hips, maybe you don't get superpowers, but you just get to the same fitness level as me. So we're both starting at the same point, right? I reckon even with a year's prep, it's very likely I would get on that ground and not get a fucking touch. Like those players, they're professional fucking athletes and they're quick and they're fast and they're strong and I'm 43. Like, it would take... I don't think... I could work to my absolute maximum and I still don't reckon I could get 15 touches and kick a goal. It would take some amazing teamwork around me. They would have to carry me. My teammates would have to carry me like nothing else. I just know... I mean, I played in junior amateur football where I wasn't getting 15 touches
1: and kicking a goal game. And I was fucking trying. Oh yeah. I mean, 15 and a goal is like, I mean, I need six months, but, and I need bionic hips, but if I'm just (laughs) like the same fitness as you are and what could I get in a game? I think you get a touch definitely because I think that what you've said is like all these like players are so skilled and drilled and, You know, that they're all. But that's their weakness also, because you would Mm. be not doing any of that. They wouldn't be able to predict what it was that you were going to do in a game. And I just think, by the nature of that, at some stage, you would find yourself in the place the ball was when everybody else, because it is an oval ball and it bounces in different directions. The fact that you don't know what you're doing would at least once work in your favour, I believe. Yeah, I just reckon I'd get, I'd get smashed. i get smashed
0: in a contest early on and then I'd be too scared to go back in. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I, ha- I, ha- I had not thought that through. Of course, we would get <laughs> smashed and then we would cry and go home. Sorry, fate of the world. I mean, my last memory
0: of playing amateur football was when I was like 19 And I think I was captaining this side as well. And it wasn't through any like ability. I think it was just because I was the loudest guy in the group. So they made me captain. And I remember I was playing on the halfback flank and uh, the ball comes flying in and a pack forms. And I'm like the captain. (laughs) And as this pack merges, I'm like, nah, I'm not going up. I just stayed on the ground, like completely squibbed the contest and hoped for like a a spillage. I could get the ball, didn't get it. And I remember at quarter time, the coach being like, You have to fly for that. Like, you're the captain. Like You need to lead by example. I'm like, I don't want to get hurt. (laughs) Fuck
1: this. I don't want to get hurt. And that was like the last game I played. I mean, it is amazing to me that we have now talked about football more on this podcast than we do on our football podcast. (laughs) Um, You heard about Elon Musk and the
0: pig? No. What? Let me tell you this. This is from uh, CNET. Dot com. Elon Musk shows Neuralink a brain implant working oh, in a pig. This is by Stefan Shankland and Jackson Ryan. Uh, the subheading is, it's like a Fitbit for your yeah, skull. Great. The SpaceX and Tesla leader says of Neuralink's yeah. brain computer
1: link technology. Well, there's one person I want to get brain advice from. It's that fucking knob end. Like, like the Kanye West of fucking capitalism. Like, yeah, no. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Kanye... He's done some great stuff. Like some of the stuff is actually really good. And some of it is so batshit fucking terrifying. And it feels (laughs) to me that this is going to be in the batshit terrifying category. With a device surgically implanted into the skull of a pig
0: named Gertrude, Elon Musk demonstrated his startup Neuralink's technology to build a digital link between brains and computers. A wireless link from the Neuralink computing device showed the pig's brain activity as it snuffed around a pen on
1: stage on Friday night. Elon said, now we're going to give her bionic hips and make her dance like Bruno Mars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the demonstration shows the technology to be significantly closer delivering on Musk's radical ambish- ambitions than during a 2019 product debut when Neuralink only showed photos of a rat with a Neuralink connected to a via USB port. It's still far from a reality, but Musk said the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in July granted approval for breakthrough device testing. <laughs> this guy is going to come knock on your door and off you the free hips.
1: Okay, so personally, I, I remember when he tested it on the rat. Um, I yes. was disappointed it wasn't a musk rat. I would have thought that would have been an ideal moment <laughs> for a little bit of pun title... Self-branding, but anyway, whatever. Make your own decisions, Elon. Uh, but I did not know that he'd done it to a pig. I listened to
0: uh, The Weekly Planet a couple of weeks ago. I'm catching up on some old episodes and James uh, made a joke that made me laugh so hard <laughs> without talking about Elon Musk. And he's going, you know what uh, that's short for? <laughs> elongated Muskrat. <laughs> I don't know why, but I literally had to stop what I
1: was doing. I was laughing so hard at <laughs> that. Elongated Muskrat. <laughs> I mean, that would be so great if it was true. Like, I'd be back on board. If he actually announced, oh, you know, he gave his baby some, you know, bizarre name. Yeah. Like there was a whole bunch of symbols and, and whatever. So mm. Elon Musk hears that joke. Much like Bill and Ted's song that will save all humanity, Elon Musk realizes that is the name. that That's his name that he always should have had that's his wu-tang name right he is (laughs) elongated elongated muskrat muskrat, and he changes his name by deep. pile. he goes i've seen the error of my ways all it took was me trying to fucking make a pig dance like bruno mars and i realized (laughs) that who i really am is elongated muskrat i would love that elongated muskrat also
0: showed a second generation implant that's more compact and fits into a small cavity hollowed out In the skull, tiny electrode threads penetrate the outer surface of the brain, detecting an electrical impulse from nerve cells that shows the brain is at work. In line with Neuralink's longer-term plans, the threads are designed to communicate back with computer-generated signals of their own. It's like Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires, Musk said of the device. Mm. It communicates with brain cells with 1024 thin electrodes that penetrate the outer layer of the brain. I mean... Sounds good, right? What could go wrong? Sticking all that metal in your brain? That's fine. What could go wrong? There's a Bluetooth link to an outside computing device, though the company is looking at other radio technology it can use to dramatically increase the number of data links. Through the pig demonst- Though the t- pig demonstration <laughs> showed neural activity being broadcast widely to a computer, it didn't reveal any of Neuralink's long-term ambitions, like a computer usefully communicating back to brain, to a brain or a computer understanding what the spikes of neural activity actually mean. All right, so basically it's just detecting activity, but there is no interpretation of that. I mean, I think, you know, what we're thinking is, wow, they'll be able to read our minds soon and, you know, you, they'll be able to, be able to uh, capture what you're thinking about, all that kind of stuff. But um, that doesn't seem like it's that close. What to if the they're
1: point. monitoring what a pig is thinking and it turns out a pig is thinking really deep and profound shit? How would people, Uh, would people still eat bacon? If like it turned out Elon Musk, is doing this little experimentation. He puts a chip in the uh, pig's head and it turns out the pig's like, you know, kind of thinking about philosophy and the nature of existence and, you know, having really advanced and beautiful thoughts about the world. Would people still eat bacon? People love bacon. I'd say the meat industry, they would manipulate the data and they would
0: give the pigs mm. some because they're obviously highly intelligent they would give them some um literature to read mm. that might be considered sort of like um you know anarchic right. or you know far left uh, kind of material and so then when they did the demonstration they show the pigs thinking about like you know activism and black lives matters and stuff and they can use
1: that as an excuse to say see these pigs are trying to take over we should eat them yeah they start like raising up for pig life matters plm they, they want to take your bacon <laughs> suddenly there's all this footage of butchers out on the street (laughs) rioting everywhere yeah this is like i think you're right it would be because the meat industry is so all-powerful that if elon musk Mm. like discovered that the pigs are like thinking advanced thoughts there would just have to be a massive conspiracy on behalf of big pork to uh cover (laughs) up the idea that these pigs had sentience
0: well, you couldn't cover up that they had sentience. It's too important. But I think you manipulate the data. Right. It's kind of you know like what they did with tobacco and climate yeah. change and stuff. Is you just muddy the waters enough? It's like, well, they're not all thinking good thoughts. Some of these pigs are fucking downright assholes. In fact, yeah. we're going to imprison some of them for their thoughts because they're you know planning murders and stuff, and then
1: we'll eat them. Yeah, we're going to imprison them as you do with people who have bad actions and deeds, and then we're going to force feed them. For other reasons, they yeah, were going to butcher Not them. even bad actions and deeds, bad thoughts. Will we like to imprison pigs for bad thoughts?
0: And that shouldn't worry you in the slightest when it comes to society as a whole. Uh, Neuralink is a medical focus to start, like helping people deal with brain and spinal cord injuries or congenital congenital defects. The technology could, for example, help paraplegics who've lost the ability to move or a a sense because of spinal cord injury, and the first human uses will aim to improve conditions like paraplegia or tetraplegia. If you can sense what people want to do with their limbs, you can do a second implant where the spinal injury occurs and create a neural shunt, Musk said. I'm confident in the long term, it'll be possible to restore somebody to full body motion. Well, that would be awesome. But can it not be you,
1: Elon? Can we have someone else more trustworthy lead that? If it no, if it's elongated muskrat, I'm back on board. I'm okay. elongated muskrat, and this is my uh, uh, chief assistant, Doctor uh, Evil. Doctor Evil, sorry, yeah, sorry, Doctor Evil. Doctor, <laughs> Doctor, Congen- and this is the
0: hot lover congenital defect. Well, okay, so Musk is open strong here with something we all can all get behind, which is like helping people get the movement of their limbs back. But next next right. paragraph is a bit more revealing. Musk's vision is far more radical including ideas like conceptual t- telepathy where two people can communicate electronically by thinking at each other instead of writing or speaking the long term goal is to head off uh, is to head off a future where artificial intelligence vastly is vastly smarter than us and exterminates us
1: yeah or to immediately bring on that future A little of column A and a little of column B, I imagine.
0: (laughs) Musk envisions people using Neuralink to connect to their own digital AI incarnation, so the future is controlled by the combined will of the people of Earth, Musk said. And when someone
1: says people of Earth, supervillain, generally. Yeah, you always know that's a good sign when somebody opens with people of Earth. (laughs) It's going to be important from an
0: existential threat perspective to achieve a good AI symbiosis. Okay, so Elon is cheerleading the singularity. He wants us to become one with technology. Of course he fucking does. Uh, the future is going to be weird, Musk said, discussing sci-fi uses of Neuralink. In the future, yeah. you'll be Because you're able designing to save... the future and you're fucking weird. <laughs> In the future, you'll be able to save and replay memories. You could basically store your memories as a backup and restore the memories, or you could potentially download them into a new body or into a robot body. He's aware that some people are going to see the trouble in Neuralink too. I understand Will Anderson has some problems with this, but he can go fuck himself. <laughs> Gee, that was harsh by elongated muskrat. Oddly <laughs> specific to you. What a coincidence.
1: Well, I mean, it's a fair assumption. Even if he knew, if he's listened to the podcast before, and I assume he has, <laughs> This is increasingly sounding
0: like a, a Black Mirror episode, Musk said, referring to the dystopian TV series. Yeah. Okay. So just extend that thought a little more, Elon. <laughs> like, it's like, an is it a sort of Black Mirror? Do they normally end up happy stories at the end of Black Mirror?
1: Yeah. It's like the, all the warning signs Musk- are there, mate. It's like a Black Mirror episode. Let's, you know what? Turn off the fucking television and stop watching Black Mirror. Stop making Black Mirror. Don't make the real life
0: stadium version of Black Mirror. Musk also discussed seeing in infrared, ultraviolet, or X ray using digital camera data. Over time, we could probably, we could potentially give someone supervision.
1: And it will be Gertrude the pig.
0: Neuralink is building a robotic installer that ultimately is designed to handle the full surgical installation process. That includes opening up the scalp, removing a portion of the skull, inserting hundreds of threads of electrodes along with an accompanying computer chip, then closing the incision. The installer is designed to dodge blood vessels to avoid bleeding, Musk said.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Chef's kiss. As with Fitbit, Apple Watch, and other wearable technology, Musk sees a health benefit for Neuralink besides direct brain-computer brain computer communications. Neuralink chips can measure temperature, pressure, movement, data that could also warn you about a heart attack or a stroke, Musk said. Computers need power, and Neuralink's in-skull chip gets it by charging wirelessly through the skin, Musk said. This is sounding more and more like a press release and less like an article, isn't it? Yeah. Um, all right, no more propaganda from Elon Musk. Let's get to some mail. If you want to send us some mail, the best way to do that is to go to tofop.com. It's where we house all our podcasts. We have lots of great podcasts, including this one, Two Guys, One Cup, Willosophy. Will, who's on Willosophy this week?
1: Uh, Katan Joshi, who is a name that people might not recognize if you're not on Twitter. He's great on Twitter. Um, he's very good but at Twitter. But if you uh, don't know him, he's a social commentator. He's an academic. He's a climate change expert, and he lives in Oslo. And so... We had a chat to him in Oslo and it's nearly two hour episode. It's really full of just the most fascinating insight about the pandemic we're currently going through and the parallels and otherwise that it has with the climate change challenges we're facing and are going to have to face. So it's an absolute cracker of an episode. And then on Friday, a regular faux fop guest uh, is back on philosophy. Jen Kirkman. Caught up with Jen Kirkman oh. last week. Um, it's a really fun episode, and so I think people are really going to like that one too. Okay, this is from
0: Steph. She says, "Hi Charlie and Will, thanks for helping distract us listeners through the pandemic and various lockdowns. I definitely appreciate the raft of bin pie film chat. <laughs> well, today was a bloody ripsnorter with the bin chat. See, secondly, Pigate continues. In the last episode, you read out an email from Peter, who is on my side of the pond in the UK." He messaged to correct you that you can get hot pies from the counter in bakeries here in the UK and you shot him down. Since you demanded someone to corroborate his statement, hi, that's me. Pies, pasties, sausage rolls, they're all available hot in most bakeries. Clearly the places you were you were were shoddy and not doing us proud. Maybe we can finally when we can finally travel again, and you next head this way, check out some of the smaller local bakeries and flip the bird at the larger corporations. Also, we love a pie and mash lunch in most pubs if you fancy sitting down for your pie. Keep up the good work, Steph. Uh, Yeah, you know what? I was going to big chain bakeries. Maybe that's the issue. I've been to those big chain bakeries and got hot
1: pies. Again, I feel like this is a specific incident that happened to you twice and you've you've assumed (laughs) your immediate assumption was... That this is how they serve pies instead of the fact that you that's everything that's wrong with the world right now because that's how most people put together their opinions on things they have two things that are actually just a coincidence and they just make massive fucking assumptions based on them
0: yeah I take a trip to the Antarctic and anyone says did you see an iceberg I was like no no I just saw a little bit of ice uh, floating on top of the water and I assume that that's all there was to see (laughs) I'm satisfied (laughs) that is all there is to see check out my episode with Ketanji Joshy he's a climate change expert <laughs> oh. uh, Steph says PS while I'm not a doctor or a nurse I am a sports rehabilitator which is like a mashup of your physios and an exercise physiologist so I'm a healthcare practitioner nonetheless Taking I hope it. that helps with your medical podcast stats it certainly does absolutely by the way if you are a doctor who listens to this show, you might want to head over to redbubble.com and get one of our uh, um, uh, Australia's number one medical podcast t shirts. Uh, James Fosdike has done an amazing design, a, a specific, uh, what is it? The 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 snake down the dagger. What do you, what do you call that? The um, medical association logo or something? Yeah. The mascot? Pro- probably. The doctor so.
1: mascot? So, you know, they're, they're <laughs> like, it's actually, when you think about it, like, like a snake on a knife is not really the mascot or logo that I actually want for a medical professional. Like if I went to see my, my, my doctor and on his front door, he just had like a, <laughs> a dead snake like wrapped around a dagger sword. with a fucking snake on it. I'd be like, no thanks. <laughs>
0: I'm a doctor. And also I run a tattoo parlor. Uh, continuing the feedback on pies. This is from Gabriel. Uh, to Tofop. G'day from Washington, DC. Relatively short time listener circa charlie's pam airs first poetry story resulting me snorting on a treadmill at the gym first time letter corresponder and definitely a doctor welcome. welcome welcome it's an illustrious group there are some bloody uh, health practitioners here but you know <laughs> we had to let a few well, people in just to get all them heroes on. don't worry about it
1: all heroes
0: <laughs> I've been following with interest the recent discussion about meat pies, especially since I've been predominantly living overseas since 2014, a three-year stint in London and the last couple here in DC. Thus, I have not been able to achieve the Aussie average of 12 meat pies per year, although I do try when I am able to return home. As my husband is a Kiwi who perpetually educates me about his people and their ways, It is also worth noting that our cousins across the ditch consume 15 meat pies per year. Wow. Holy shit. We're getting beaten in everything by New
1: Zealand, including pie eating. It's probably buddy Jacinda Ardern probably does press conferences where she's eating a pie. She probably has some regular (laughs) thing on a Sunday night where half of New Zealand sit down and have a pie with Jacinda. Yeah, just a charming kind of informal sit down
0: and chat where you can just talk about your day. No, no pressure here. Don't have to make it political. That's really interesting. (laughs) He does regard 420 pies as garbage, whereas I have some nostalgia linking them back to school tuck shops. Ask a Kiwi about George, Georgie pie. Macca's brought them out as a competition several decades ago and made them obsolete. And now have brought them back in their stores in the last few years. Original factory still operating with some original employees. So that's interesting. So Georgie Macca's brought them out as competition. And then so you can get a meat pie at McDonald's in New Zealand. There you go. There's your 2020 remake of uh, Pulp Fiction. The opening scene is them talking about, you know, in New Zealand, you can get a meat pie at a McDonald's. A hot meat pie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they didn't call it a meat pie. Because ah, <laughs> it's New Zealand. Like a lot of meat pie. So anyway, I was uh, already chuckling away as I rode along the banks of the Potomac a few days ago, listening to this week's Potomac? episode. Imagining, what? Potomac? Pot- Potomac? What did I say? Potomac. <laughs> what's the, what's the potomac, it's a, potomac. Like a, it's a famous river isn't it oh, okay sure so i'm cycling along the banks of the potomac what is it called potomac potomac is potomac. <laughs> you can get a pie there i'm pretty sure
1: yeah
0: <laughs> a few days ago listening to this week's episode imagining the death match that would be alf stewart and harold bishop when you brought back up the Greg's thing in the UK. I'd only been to Greg's a couple of times, having been generally let down by the quality of pies and sausage rolls in the UK. I do remember going in once for a sausage roll, which was cold, and they mm. offered to microwave it. That was not on, and I swiftly uh. did a 180. It was, however, when you started talking about Pret-a-Porter repeatedly, I got quite confused. During my time in London, Pret was always just called Pret, which is an abbreviation of pret a manger. Not prêt à porter. Oh, that's right. So yeah, prêt à manger. We're thinking of the, we're thinking of the, the, the Robert Altman film, prêt à porter. <laughs> that would have been very confusing. I apologise to our English listeners. Translation: Asking Charlie in his French accent would be uh, ready to eat. <laughs> hang on, is that French? Uh-huh. No. Ready to eat. There you go. That's better. Ready to eat uh, versus ready to wear. So prêt à manger is ready to eat. Prêt à porter, ready to wear. Uh, not always a stickler for details, but I thought it interesting to bring up because the whole Preta porter thing brought back vague memories of what I remember to be quite a shitty movie in the mockumentary style from the mid-90s, which I think is be- I'd seen at the Greater Union Cinemas on Russell Street back in the day. It was about the same time as Best in Show. Clearly, did not develop the cult following afterwards. Isn't that interesting that you brought up Best in Show earlier in the podcast, and now we're closing with a reference to Best in Show? So, like Printer my-
1: Porter, I saw at the movies, and it, it is a Robert Altman film. It's not like a mockumentary. It's a, it's like it's a in it's set in Fashion work. Fashion, and, yeah, and it's like several, like very Altman-esque in that it's a whole bunch of little stories that are all kind of connected to each other and it was off the back of the player, I reckon. So that was an amazing film. And then I think Pré-de-Porter might have been the follow-up film. And I remember seeing it in the movies and quite enjoying it. It's not like a perfect film, but there's a lot lot I liked a lot of it.
0: The only thing I remember about it is here comes a hot stepper, word up. I'm the lyrical dancer. Word up excuse me, Mr. Officer. Word up. Still living laughter. Like I, I,
1: I always thought that he was the lyrical gangster, not Dying. the lyrical dancer. No, I was just making shit up. I don't
0: know what the words are. So yeah, probably lyrical gangster, not oh, okay. lyrical dancer. Yeah. Uh, either way, this particular thought see, uh, segue I thought was definitely a pop esque digression and worthy to bring your attention. There was someone who wrote a, wrote in. There was someone who wrote in about Americans having pot pies. I tried microwaving one of those suckers once, and it became a big sloppy mess. There's something different about the pastry used here. There are several Aussie and Kiwi pie specialists in the U.S. The closest one is a Kiwi guy about half a drive, uh, about ha- half an hour's drive away. It's called Kiwi Cuisine, and cuisine spelled with a K. Prices range from five dollars for a sausage roll to eight to nine dollars for a pie. That
1: guy is making a fucking killing. How much, actually? How- and plus, like when he takes that money back to New Zealand, it's even more money because he exchange rate. I know you, I haven't eaten there
0: in like over a decade but pie face i send to recall being ridiculously expensive
1: pies they were like round about 7 or 8 bucks weren't they i miss pie face do you i got to say yeah like i mean i had a limited range of things i could get from pie face but their like cheese and spinach roll was pretty tasty and i would have after a gig after a few beers like a pie face cheese and spinach roll there was that brief period where every second shop in the entire world was pie face and yeah. i Enjoyed that because i could quite often have like a cheese and spinach roll and then before i got back to like my apartment have another cheese and spinach (laughs) roll from another pie face it's reassuring though to
0: know that it's there and we'll likely grab uh, uh we'll likely grab some since with the pandemic we aren't coming back to our pie fixes anytime soon oh that's sad we'd love to have you back gabe thank you so much uh for giving me a dose of home each week and big shout out to the aussie medical professional he got me onto yep. fop in the very first place. Kath. Well, let's give bloody... That deserves another second round of applause. Welcome, Kath.
1: Welcome uh, that,
0: to this thank podcast you, of Thank learning you, Kath, is
1: gone. They, they, this is a doctor's podcast. I better tell
0: my friend who's a doctor. <laughs> um, Kath should be sorting out pesky bloody uh, pesky blood-based things in Rocky right now. She sent me the TOEFOP coffee mug for my milestone birthday. Ah. Oh. They're bloody buying merch. They're being doctors. This is what a what a wonderful way to end this episode. We end on a high. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com. There should be a bonus episode up there soon. Uh, Podcast Mark, are you cutting that at the moment? We should. I said last week it was going to go up, but this week definitely there'll be a bonus up, up on Patreon. But there's also a bunch of stuff you can check out there. There's comic strips from James Fosdyke. Everyone relax. Quantum Cop. There's bonus episodes. There's entire filmed episodes. There's behind the scenes photos, a bunch of great stuff. So go to patreon.com forward slash
1: TOEFOP. And podcast Mike has said, I thought I sent it to you, but I'll double check. So um, he's going to double check. There'll be an episode. It's clearly done. So um, you'll get to hear that. And yeah, we're we're doing heaps of shows at the moment. And uh, thank you to everybody who's been listening in and enjoying it. I know... You mentioned the Week of the Planet earlier, which is one of my favourite podcasts, but I've just had so little of my usual time that I would listen to podcasts, you know, like that commuting time, that in-between time where I would do it. I'm just not having that time at the moment. So I'm really just like I've got a whole bunch of like episodes of things that I really like that I need to get to. So um, the fact that there are so many people tuning into this show at the moment like our numbers have been like really really good yeah, way up um is just fantastic so thank you very much to uh, everybody who's been tuning in and everyone who's obviously if, if you've come back to the show after a while away welcome back and uh to to the new listeners who've come in clearly uh welcome there's a whole lot of it what we recommend is you listen backwards and you stop when you start to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and we never ask you this,
0: but can we also ask that if you do like this show, that maybe you leave us a review on iTunes or you uh, like or you subscribe, all that kind of stuff, because it does help uh, people find the podcast. And the best way is to also just tell a friend. I don't know how, what you're going to say to them. I don't know how you explain it, but just tell a friend. Well,
1: if you're a doctor, you just say well i have the podcast for you uh for everybody else it's a little bit harder but maybe you're like hey you went to the doctor today speaking of doctors here's a podcast i'm charlie Clawson. i'm will anderson